You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined by Gabby Urrutia here on a off day, the first off day of fall camp, coming after two practices. I would imagine this is like an NCAA rule, like you got to take one day off during uh, each week of fall camp. And so I think Miami's doing that here. Uh on day three of, of when they have open camp. And uh, with that happening, we're going to bring you a mailbag podcast here. Uh, we asked the Through the Smoke community on the InsideTheU.com message board to shoot us questions you'd like us to discuss here on this mailbag episode. And so we will dive into that. Before we get started, Gabby, I want to highlight again, if you're listening to this on Thursday, today is the last day to take advantage of the 75% off annual subscription deal at 24-7 Sports. That gets you a year's worth of coverage for only 26 bucks. Uh, it's the biggest sale of the year, so hop on it. Uh, I think you get a lot of value. That comes out to what, like $2 and change for a year's worth of coverage. So definitely would be getting bang for your buck. If you miss this deal, I think 24-7 is going to Go to a 60% off annual subscription deal for, I don't know, a handful of days after the 75% off deal uh, runs out. So uh, can still get a good deal. I think that runs you about 40 something dollars. So uh, plenty of deals to take advantage, plenty of news to get into here with the start of fall camp. Before we jump into mailbag questions, Gabby, there's two topics which I think we can discuss. I think you know it's worth bringing up here um, two topics that Miami fans would probably be interested in. First, uh, I think we got to once again discuss the Miami's NIL situation in relation to John Ruiz. Uh, so he, his storyline popped up again recently because of a, a good investigative journalism piece by the Miami Herald. That went into how he's being investigated by the SEC and the FBI for, uh, sounds like, potentially misleading investors, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, he's being investigated in that regard. And um, 
So from a Miami Hurricanes or a University of Miami standpoint, the question then goes to what does that mean for uh, Miami's NIL war chest, right? Because John Ruiz, no doubt about it, uh, was at the forefront of getting things going for the University of Miami. He was a valuable asset during that time. There's no doubt he gave a ton of money. And Miami, quite frankly, their recruiting class would not be, their 2023 class would not have been what it was without his help. So he did help. Um, but now, you know, with all these questions, and we kind of addressed this in March, I think March, April, or May, I forget when uh, when things started popping up about Life Wallet as a company. Um, you know, and back then we said, look, yes, it is a hit to Miami in terms of perception and then recruiting perception is reality to some extent. Uh, but, but we were pretty clear, look, Miami's NIL money is by no means dry. UM is confident. They are like internally, I think they're, they're fairly confident, Gabby. They're like a top 10, top 15 NIL collective in the country, which is a good spot. Uh, I think they feel like, look, we absolutely need more. That's just the, the nature of the game. But by no means is it a like huge concern, sound the alarm bells because of this John Ruiz stuff that's going on. Again, he was boisterous, uh, flashy with the way he conducted himself. And so on the back end, right, you just got to kind of eat it if things fall apart. And so I think you just got to kind of eat it in some ways as, as fans and as a university. Um, but we made it clear too, like the Canes Connection Group is Miami's collective. They kind of saw this coming at the turn of the calendar year and they organized and uh, things are, are going smoothly. And I think, look, last thing I'll say, Gabby, is look at the results, right? So look at the players through the transfer portal. Miami added uh, post-spring when all this stuff started happening, look at the commitments Miami landed during the summer months. Um, look at Tyler Van Dyke, right? He was, uh, Alabama was flirting with him. Miami was able to keep him. These things don't happen unless your collective is on point. And so I think the results kind of speak to that. And now it's up to Miami to just, you know, move on and, um, kind of make it clear that, hey, we're in good shape here with with Kane's Connection, the collective that is also um, affiliated with the university. Like the university has kind of put their stamp as that is our group. So that's all I'll say on that John Ruiz recent story that popped up in the Miami Herald in relation to the Miami Hurricanes athletics programs. Yeah, and just from my perspective, like, you know, even just checking in recently, um, you know, really this week, I don't think that people who are, you know, I guess around Miami's NIL program that would be aware of just the way of the way that this John Ruiz stuff uh, would impact, have an impact. I don't think anyone's really concerned about where Miami's NIL situation is at. Uh, you know, players are getting paid. Uh, checks are going through. Uh, everyone's getting what they were agreed to get. And uh, I think that really just the feeling around it is that Miami's NIL stuff is still in a really good spot. Again, John Ruse has always been like the public face of this thing. 
but there's a lot of other people that are involved in this behind the scenes that no one really knows about. And uh, those people are making sure that Miami's, you know, everything around the Miami football program is taken care of. Like what, like what you said, David, I mean, I think you're always looking for more. Uh, You're all, you always want to kind of elevate your, your, your standing in this ever changing landscape of NIL. There's obviously some, maybe some tiers that maybe you'll never really reach, you know, like, I don't know if Miami will ever get to like that, obviously like Texas A&M, Texas type of tier. Cause I think that's just different. That's just a whole different like ball game. But I think Miami uh, could absolutely, I, I definitely agree. They're probably a top 10, top 15 NIL spot. I think they, they could firmly be top 10, especially with a winning season. I think that would generate more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would generate more excitement uh, from donors and people around the program. And again, I I think that w- everything that Miami's NIL is and has been is still intact. Uh, there are people, there are plenty of people who are covering, um, you know, Miami, the basis for Miami. And it, it's not all John Ruiz. John Ruiz was never the end all be all. He was just kind of the person who was most outspoken of it. And again, I, I think that they started pivoting away from John Ruiz and towards Kane's connection a while ago, uh, which is what I you know put on our message board for the morning that that uh, story broke that, you know, again, Kane's connection is is basically handling a lot of that stuff. And John Ruiz is maybe affiliated with Kane's connection in some ways, right. but he's not the single source of cash flow. It, it, this isn't the John Ruiz show. It's a, there's definitely a lot of heavy hitters who are involved. And again, people who are very aware of Miami's situation and how uh, it would be impacted by all this are not concerned whatsoever um, about where Miami is or how it would impact the way current players are getting paid or anything like that. So I think from my perspective, it seems like everything is kind of business as usual. And, uh, you know, people are still pleased about the way that, um, you know, guys are being taken care of during this, you know, again, in this era. Yeah. It's a perception hit and it's somewhat embarrassing, right? Um, but again, look at the results, right? Look at the players that have added, look at the players that have stayed. Um, and, and look, if guy, like you're saying, Gabby, if guys on the team now were not, if those checks weren't getting to those guys that, that were agreed upon in today's day and age, like every player has a social media account, we would hear about it. So that type of chaos is not taking place. Um, anyways, that's, that's. I think it was a topic worth addressing, so we addressed it. Realignment talk. This is definitely something that's tough to talk about because it's very hard to predict um, or even project. Uh, But from an ACC perspective, Florida State is really rattling cages to get the ACC to try and change its revenue-sharing model. And on Wednesday, they held a – Florida State held a board of trustees – uh, meeting. And one of the big topics of that meeting was how staying in the ACC as it's currently constructed is not sustainable uh, compared to the rest of the college football landscape. Um, we all know what the revenue differences are going to be between the ACC and the Big Ten and, and the SEC here in, in about two years. Those Conferences are probably going to make about double, maybe even more than double, what the ACC is projected to make. Um, And so the ACC programs that really care about football definitely feel like something needs to be done about this. And Florida State and Clemson in particular, 
uh, are two programs that have been at the forefront of this from a public standpoint. Um, and as we have said on this podcast, uh, Miami, North Carolina are also in that group of, you know, behind the scenes kind of pushing on the ACC in terms of like, hey, what's the plan? How can we tweak things? What can we do uh, to make things better? I think probably too, Virginia is in that group as well. Um, and so look, I think we now know August 15th is kind of an interesting date to keep an eye on uh, because that is the date that schools have to notify the ACC in terms of if they're going to leave the conference for next season, they have to let the ACC know by August 15th of this month, right? Um, and so that's what makes kind of this Florida State uh, show interesting because they're really ramping up the pressure on either the ACC to make some changes or, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a showdown. And I think... Honestly, Gabby, I think ideally a lot of these ACC teams would prefer to stay in the ACC uh, and have the conference make some sort of tweaks. Is that possible? I don't know. Like, I, I do understand, like, Commissioner Jim Phillips is in a tough spot with what he inherited. But also on the flip side of that, a lot of these ACC schools that care a lot about football and investing in football, they feel like Jim Phillips has kind of like a third place mentality and like, he's okay with being the third best conference. And, and even that point, Gabby, to me, like, I think if we're being honest, I think, especially if you're projecting in the future, the ACC is going, is the fourth best conference. The big 12 is about to enter a contract. That'll be pretty uh, comparable to the ACC contract that, Big 12 contract kicks in in 2025. And the thing that gives the Big 12 the huge edge over the ACC is that Big 12 contract is only six years long. And so their next deal after this deal comes up in about, what, 2030. And so um, that's another opportunity to get even more money uh, at that next uh contract so and, and, we and, all and that's no yeah, as i say that's notable because the acc runs through 2036 so they'll get like two, two contracts like while the ac still sees still stuck in their like high stage old one and that's also the case i believe with the big 10 and the sec like they will also have another contract before 2036 um so this is a mess for the acc it's a tough situation uh you know you look at the big 12 brett yormark is their commissioner he's, he's a new guy in that role, he's been aggressive with the moves he's made since stepping in. Um, and I'll be honest too, Gabby, like to me, just, this is just my opinion, but like looking at things, I think in terms of getting out of the ACC, the schools that want to get out, I think having the big 12 as a kind of legitimate third option, like they're clearly the third option, but they're a legitimate third option. I think having them available in that role will make it easier in time. Again, I don't have a timeline on this, but in time to dissolve the ACC. And so you have these teams that can leave for the big 10. You have these teams that can potentially leave for the sec. And then the question would be, well, what about the rest of the ACC teams? 
the Big 12 is kind of positioning itself as being like a pro basketball conference. And so that aligns really well with some of those uh, ACC programs that aren't necessarily all in on football in terms of investment, but love basketball. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing from a Miami perspective for me, like they are pushing things behind the scenes. They haven't been overly public because let's be real. They haven't been great on the field recently. And quite frankly, if we're being real too, like Miami hasn't necessarily held up its end of the bargain since joining the ACC in terms of what was expected when they arrived in the conference, they were expected to be one of the conference's superpowers definitely has not played out that way. Um, but I'll say this, if Miami's working on this behind the scenes, if they start getting some results this year, I think you're going to see Miami get louder with Florida state with Clemson. Um, and one thing too, that happened this off season that, I don't think we've talked about here on the podcast, but when it happened, it definitely got my spidey senses tingling a little bit. Uh, this summer, Miami received membership to the AAU. And why does that matter? The AAU is by invitation only and is based on a set of indicators that indicates the quality of a university's research and education. Why does this matter? This is like an academic side of things, right? Uh, because it's something that the Big Ten as a conference really cares about. You know, in the Big Ten, they'll come out and say it's not a requirement, but it is kind of preferred that our members are also a member of AAU. Um, and if you look at it, all 16 members, all but one of the 16 members of the Big Ten uh, Conference, and this includes USC and UCLA, are AAU members. The only one that isn't is Nebraska. And Nebraska actually was an AAU member in 2010. They lost it one year later in 2011. So um, that's kind of just like, like, I would read that as like, hey, Miami's kind of, putting its ducks in a row to be in position if they need to make a move like that to be attractive to the Big Ten. Other non-Big Ten schools that are AAU members would include Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford, North Carolina, Virginia, Notre Dame. Florida State is not an AAU member, but they are working on it, it sounds like. Clemson is not an AAU member. I honestly don't know if they're if they're trying to be AAU compliant. So um, I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying this. I don't think FSU would come out and do this. You know, I don't know if dog and pony shows the way to say it, but they've definitely been boisterous about how, you know, things need to change. I don't think they would do this if there wasn't something real behind it. Now, does that mean they're going to tell the ACC by August 15th of this year, yo, we're out. I don't know. Um, but I do think it indicates, look, the ACC is in trouble in terms of keeping these quote unquote big brands within the next three or four years. So that's how I read into it. I read into it as FSU, you know, each kind of step of the way here, this off season, 
things are getting more and more and more serious. Are they ready to deliver that death blow? I don't know yet. I know from a Miami standpoint, I think it's kind of like, okay, if FSU and Clemson are going to be the first over that, that wall to just like, whatever, we're going to take on this um, grant to rights deal, see where this goes. I think Miami would join that fray. Um, but who's going to have the cojones to do that? And when will that happen? I think it's going to happen. Predicting when it happens, I personally would say three to four years from now. Um, but things are kind of getting real here behind the scenes. I mean, it's exciting. I, I, I just want to see where all this goes. And I mean, I'm not super like locked into it, like maybe that the way you are, David, but just from like an outside perspective, like it just feels like this is all kind of coming crumbling, right? Like it's all crumbling down. Like where does the ACC kind of go from here? Because you're locked into that contract. Like, like where, like what can the ACC, like outside of a new revenue, uh, you know, distribution, you know, right. type of deal. Like where, like what, the, like what's next? Like, like how does the ACC even do that? And even if you get that like uneven uh, revenue distribution, like is that, does that still put like, let's say, all right, let's say Florida State and Clemson are the two that are, you know, probably going to get the best of that revenue uh, sharing deal. Like is even that uneven distribution going towards them? Is that going to be enough to keep them like, even satisfied to the point where it's just like, all right, we're happy in the Probably ACC not. now. Which That's is what why I'm I feel like this is, just has to end. Like, I feel like right. I, I just feel like the, the end of the, the end, like, I feel like we're reaching the end of the rope here where it's like the only solution that's going to kind of keep a bunch of these universities happy is finding a different place to play. And, and, and the big 12 stuff to me is kind of interesting too, because yeah, like the 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 Big Twelve is. Let's say they're reaching a, a a deal, like maybe that starts in 2025. I don't know what the status of that is. Maybe it's signed. Maybe the details are already hammered out. But let's say, like, what, like, again, not saying that this is what's going to happen. But let's say Miami's like, all right, let's do the Big Twelve. Like, how much does that elevate what the Big Twelve is able to go back to the table and say, all right, we have Miami now. We have a you know North Carolina now. Again, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. But like, like we're we're talking about the Big Twelve as a legitimate like third option. Like, how good could that third option potentially even be? Like, could it still be like really lucrative to the point where it's just like, yeah, like that's still way better than staying in the ACC, right? And I think so. The way I would read into that is like, let's see if the Big Twelve makes it to twenty thirty, and is that third option, and they're able to get a lot more money in 2030. That's when I would look at it from a Miami perspective. I do think if they leave before 2030, you're looking more at like a big 10 sec situation, but regardless, I do think the big 12, like if the big 12 picks off, um, like, cause they're into basketball Duke, right? What if uh, Louisville uh, Mm -hmm. Pitt? you know, that, that could be the landing spot for those programs. Right. And everyone just says, all right, like this is the only way to Maybe get Syracuse. out of this. Right. This is the only way to get out of this. Let's all just dissolve the ACC and good luck. <laughs> and like merge with the Big 12 or whatever. Yeah. Or just like those, or, yeah. all those conferences, right? It could be yeah. landing spots for the Big 10, everyone, mm-hmm. SEC, Big 12. So, anyways, this is a lot of hypothetical talk. Um, but it is interesting. I get why uh, people are into it. Um, All right, let's take a quick break, and then we will get into questions from the message board pertaining to some of our early thoughts on the team here after two practices. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, 
Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Starr is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Starr knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text Star today at 561-573-4661. Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices ASAP. The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. ERCLawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids' selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at MidwaySports.com. All right, Gabby, we are back. Let's dive into it. The first question comes from Tally Kane, who at, sorry, Tally Kane 10, who asks, with Lance Gidry having the track record, of having consistent top five defenses at the FCS level. But as we saw last year, he can still stop power five offenses with less talent. Do we see slash think he can translate over to the FBS power five level consistently? Can he give us a at least a top 20 defense this year? I mean, I, I, I mean top 20 defense would be like a, insane improvement toward to where they were at last year so i think that stuff like that i mean i guess we'll have to see but i i do think that we're gonna see just like a better overall defensive yeah. approach right like I, i'm more curious about the approach because we know last year that kevin Steele, you know base vanilla defense and you you mentioned it a ton david like you know few it was adjustments. very yeah a few adjustments it was very easy to kind of attack miami defensively i think what lance gidry brings is just you, you, I think you just make you're gonna have to make offensive coordinators think you're gonna have to make opposing quarterbacks think a lot more when you're playing a Miami mm -hmm. defense because of the way that picture changes the way that they're lining up the way that they're gonna move guys around um, just the mm -hmm. different sort of packages that they're gonna have on defense you're not gonna have a base and a, a regular base and you're gonna see that for 75% of snaps I think we're gonna see so many different things 
of so many different looks that Lance Gidry is going to bring. Um, I think he's really creative. Again, you, you saw what he did. I mean, he that Marshall defense, like, like legitimately beat Notre Dame last, you know, like helped beat Notre Dame last year in South Bend. And of course, yes, with far less talent, obviously I think the talent pool at Miami is way better than what Lance Gidry's probably ever had in his career. Um, I mean, let's not forget Tulane brought Lance Gidry over. Like he was going to go, you know, coach that Tulane defense. They're fresh off of a, you know, really impressive. I think it was, it was a Fiesta Bowl win over USC um, or Sugar Bowl win. I, I'm not sure which one, which one it was, but like, you know, there's a lot of people that love what Lance Gidry does on defense, his mentality, his mindset. Uh, you talk to people around the program. They're super juiced up about this defense, David. I, I know you asked uh, Jason Taylor about Lance Gidry's defense and he was like, like smiling. Yeah. I love Lance Gidry. I think he's going to bring a lot of juice. I think he's going to bring a lot of energy. And I, I'm really encouraged just about the way the defense is going to kind of play on a down to down basis. I don't know if that's going to lead to a top 20 defense again. That would be a drastic, drastic jump year over year, but I do expect the defense to be uh, a lot better, a lot more difficult to prepare for in 2023, uh, you know, compared to what we saw from Kevin Steele's unit last year. So if you're not comfortable with top 20, what's the number you are comfortable with? Top what? I mean, what, what did they finish last year? I mean, they were like a top, like what, 70 so, defense last year? Yeah, metrics had them, you know, depending on the metric, but let's just say 65, roughly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they could maybe be a top 40 defense. Like, I feel like that's maybe more of a realistic jump. Uh, I think they could p- potentially outperform that. Uh, who knows? Maybe they can be a top 20 defense and, you know, the personnel. I just think we just all, it's also so many new, it's so much new personnel too. Like, yeah. I just don't, I just don't, I feel like it's, if it was the same roster and it's just like, maybe these guys develop, but I like, I feel like we still don't necessarily know what exactly to expect from a lot of these players. So I feel like just because of that transition, that roster transition year over year, I think that, that part of it, like the personnel part of it is also hard to kind of gauge. Also, I do think it's a more talented defense, uh, you know, I think they got better at some spots uh, where they're going to make a, a leap, you know, statistically by those metrics. But I just don't know what to kind of yeah, I don't know how much I don't know room to give them to grow. Like, I, I believe they're going to grow significantly, but like top 60 to top 20, uh, that's big. Um, I, I guess it's possible just cons- considering the track record. But, you know, I would if they can leap 25, 30 spots on those metrics, I think that would be a big deal. Yeah, I'm comfortable with like top 35-ish. I think yeah. that's fair, a fair jump to maybe look for. And yeah, look, I, I really like Lance Gidry. Um, he's not he's not a stubborn coordinator. He prides himself on uh, making in-game adjustments. His, uh, his general approach as a defensive coordinator is to, he wants to dictate to an offense as much as possible. Like you were saying, Gabby, he likes to change the picture on quarterbacks pre-snap to post-snap. Um, and I, I think, too, like he's very upfront and understands like how to schematically make up personnel deficiencies uh, with, with his scheme. Uh, he admitted during media day to me, like, yeah, we don't have necessarily the type of ideal run-stopping defensive tackle beef uh, from a personnel standpoint. But he did say, look, I like our depth on the defensive line and maybe we can, uh, you know, make up for that lack of beef with some movement uh, games up front on the defensive line. And also they they feel too good about their linebacker. They can play some games up there uh, towards the line of scrimmage with the linebackers. So uh, the big thing, I think he's he's always searching for answers. 
he's not a type of coach which is like hey this is what we do if it doesn't work it's on you guys because this has worked for me in the past so i don't know what to tell you um and yeah i mean look logically again i think it's a lot to ask going from a top from a 66 ranked defense in the country to top 20 um if that did happen, what would it have to look like, Gabby? To me, that means like Leonard Taylor has blossomed into a top five NFL draft pick. Nigelie Kelly has blossomed into a 12-stack guy. Uh, Francisco Maui Noah is a 100-tackle middle linebacker. Uh, and then the cornerback play has to be solid, solid too. Um, I think you know, also Lance Gidry was pretty upfront with me at media day too. He, he basically said, look, uh, he said, I think we can have a good defense as long as we have some good injury luck, which is code for, we don't have much depth. Hopefully we get some breaks in terms of attrition. If we don't have a much attrition, I like our starting group. Um, but the drop-off is a little significant at some spots in that starting group which I think is fair. So to me, that's not what a top 20 defense looks like to me. Top 20 right. defenses also have really good depth. Um, and so I think that depth fact, cause let's be real injuries are part of football. They're going to happen. And so uh, how your team is able to deal with those injuries is a big part of managing a season. Um, I just don't know if Miami's depth is quite it's improved but I, I still don't know if it's quite where it needs to be in terms of like a top 20 defense. Uh, next question comes from Kula who asks, is there at least one backup safety that looks ready to take first team reps? I think most of us are concerned about the lack of depth and experience there. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel super great about the, the backup safety. Like I think if that's one spot where I, I, I bet Lance Gidry's kind of, you know, yep. kind of hinting at or talking about it. it. I mean, he he's talking about say it. about safety. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think it's, I think it's dangerously thin. Uh, you know, thankfully, you know, you do have a, you know Cam Kitchens, you do have James Good Williams. Starters. Yeah, the starters are great. Like you know, the starters are 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 high. You got two high quality starters, and that's why you need both those guys to stay to stay healthy. But if you know, God forbid, one of those guys goes down. I mean, you're 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 in a tough spot, David. Who who did we see running with the twos at safeties? It was Jaden Harris, and you know who was playing nickel yes. in the yeah, spring. Yesterday and then it, it was Markeith. Yeah, Markeith and 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 Jaden Harris. I mean, those. I, I mean, Markeith. I think from like physically, still looks like he has a ways to go. You know, he's still kind of thin. Uh, I think he's definitely put on weight since he got here, but I think he's still not at the place where he's just like, again, just physically there yet. And he hasn't played yeah. a lot of football. You know, he's just not very experienced to this point talented kid all that good stuff but um you know i think we still have to see some more of him before we're kind of comfortable with that but yeah i mean i think that safety spot is is extremely thin and i think if you're when you're just looking over this roster i think it just kind of blares out at you like man this is it's it's good because you feel you like those starters you love those two starters a lot of those both those starters are getting you know potential you know nfl draft buzz as guys that potentially be off to the league after this year um, or just eventually play in the NFL one day. But after that, it's, it's a, it's a little scary, honestly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with the depth. Um, if it were me, I'd probably cross train Jadis Richard a little bit back there 
in that third safety role. So Jadis Richard, the Vanderbilt transfer, mainly working at corner for now, but I would cross train him as that third safety a little bit. And if I had to straight up pick a backup third safety, I would say, again, I don't really know what he's about yet, but I, I would say, I think I am most intrigued by Jaden Harris. Um, just because I like the idea of what his mental makeup is and his physical traits. Now, can he go out and get the job done right now? I don't know, but uh, if I had to pick one, he's probably the one I would bring to the table. Uh, I agree. Shirtless Sheriff asks, what player-coach relationship do you expect to be the most important this year? besides Tyler Van Dyke and Shannon Dawson? Yeah, to me, it's kind of along these similar lines. Like, I think the Gidry, Lance Gidry, Cam Kitchens uh, relationship is a big one. You know, just with Gidry being the defensive coordinator and the safeties coach and Cam, uh, you know, kind of being one of the leaders of the defense. And, you know, I think Gidry puts, you know, a lot on the safeties. You know, I think he's going to put a lot on Cam Kitchens as a leader of the defense. So I think, uh, you know, the communication between those two needs to be top notch. I think they're relying on Cam uh, to do a lot of just like, you know, just like moving guys around, making calls from the back end of the defense. So if Tyler Van Dyke and Shannon Dawson's relationship is is maybe the top one, I think, you know, equally as important on the back end is like that Cam Kitchens. I think like Cam Kitchens is the quarterback of the defense. And, uh, you know, Gidry's obviously the, the play caller. So I think that player-coach relationship is, is, is probably, to me, uh, the second or 1A, 1B uh, in terms of importance. Uh, for Miami this fall? I'll say I agree. I would go Leonard Taylor and Jason Taylor. I think, you know, Miami has a potential freak at defensive tackle if Leonard Taylor puts it all together this year. Uh, and so to me, like those guys are extremely rare in college football, those type of impact defensive tackles. And so for that reason, you got to get the most out of Leonard Taylor. Um, and, and if Jason Taylor isn't the guy that can break through and get the very best out of Leonard Taylor. I don't know who can. So, uh, you know, impact defensive tackles are one of those positions where they can change a game. And so I would highlight Leonard Taylor and Jason Taylor for that reason. Yeah. I think that's a good one too. Jay black three, three, four asks your breakout player. You'd like, for offense and defense after seeing some practices? Yeah, for me, offense, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm kind of just buying the Mark Fletcher hype. Like, I think he can be one of those sort of breakout type of players on the offensive side. I think he could emerge as, you know, one of the primary ball carriers. So I think, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be about establishing the run. They want to do that. I think Mark Fletcher gives them a great opportunity to do that. So uh, I, I would love to see Mark Fletcher be who kind of, a lot of people think he can be to this point. Again, I know they haven't really been popping in pads yet, but I think for Mark Fletcher, uh, even just through drill, drill work, again, before contact or anything like that, to, for him to be impressing people. Um, he's going to be even better in pads. Is the point, Yeah, exactly. Right? And he's so. and even with like the footwork and the drill work, like he's even standing out in, in those types of things where maybe you wouldn't expect him to be as far along as some of these other guys. So I'm super encouraged on the feedback I'm getting from Mark Fletcher. So he's going to be my offensive guy. Uh, defensively, you know, I, I feel like I've kind of been sipping on the Jadeus Richard um, juice for, for a while. You know, I, I think when they brought him in, I was really excited about him. 
And uh, again, I think you're still looking for who those outside cornerbacks are going to be, right? Both guys off to the NFL. And I think if he can emerge as, as one of those corners, I think that would, uh, I think that would be big. And just by what, you know, what we, the little we saw from him during that seven on seven, um, I'm really excited about Jadeus Richards. So I, I think he could potentially, I think he was someone, he's someone I would like to see uh, kind of break out and be one of those top guys on defense for, for Miami this fall. So I will say on offense, I'll go Ray Ray Joseph, the freshman slot receiver. I just think he's going to be too good to ignore. And I think they're yeah. going to have to play him, even if that means like less reps for Xavier Restrepo. I think they're just going to have to do it. Um, and then on defense, I don't know if this is cheating, but like, I don't know, from like maybe a ACC breakout player perspective, like I don't think it's a breakout player for like Miami fans. But like I think the general ACC or college football fan I think Francisco Maui Noah could put together a pretty yeah. strong year at middle linebacker. So I have uh, high expectations for him. Next question comes from AJ Card, who asks, what is Zion's actual knee injury and what was the complication after his return this year? So, you know, from what I understand, Gabby, you know, it has, has, of course, has to do with his knee, like you say uh, in the question. So I think it's one of those situations, Gabby, where like there's just not much cartilage left in the knee. And so it's kind of like a bone on bone type of deal. And uh, so, yeah, I think the the sense on that is like, look, it's a situation where you're just going to have to play through it. Um, I don't know if it's ever really going to be right. Um, and so I think Zion kind of has to mentally get to that point, if yeah. that makes sense. Will he get to that point? We will see. I think if you read between the lines, Miami's not waiting around for him to return. Um, if he does look good, and is ready to go and they feel like they can actually play him that's cool but i think you know looking at the offensive line right now you know i think they've kind of just moved on quite frankly and i mean zion's out there practicing or doing non-contact stuff and from what i can see like we we see him go through stretch and and warm-ups you know i think he's moving around a little gingerly would you agree with that do you think that's fair to say like yeah not... i would say so for sure and so you know i would the way i am approaching the zion nelson storyline this fall i'm not expecting him to play a big role at all if it does work out that way that means he is going to be an upgrade for the offensive line because they feel like they need to play him um, and so that's a good thing, but my own approach is I don't expect him to play a significant role this year. Would you push back on that? No, I, I agree. And I was going to say like, even just again, kind of having some conversations yesterday, um, you know, after practice on, on Wednesday, uh, you know, I think really just the Zion mentality is just kind of like not rushing. He's not going to, he's not going to rush it. You know, he feels like he's not going to, he's not going to rush right. that whatever injury. So the, and I think that, I think it's, I think it's mental, you know, I think it's one of those things where you need to, you definitely need to feel good 
about where, you know, where he wants to feel good about where he's at. And again, it might be one of those places where you're going to be in pain and, you know, you have to get past that. Uh, Or maybe he's hoping maybe there's different ways to relieve that or or whatever the case is, or he's trying to, wants to feel less of it or whatever, whatever the case is. But it, it, it doesn't strike me as a situation that, you know, we should expect Zion, you know, again, just instantly uh, starting at left tackle the second he's right. cleared to go. Like, it's not like, oh, Zion's back. Like, hey, he, we have our our left. T-. Like, I, I don't think it's going to be one of those situations at all. I think they feel very internally, comfortable. Internally, Miami's not like, oh, my gosh, we need Zion back. Right, you at know, all. We, yeah, so I think that's the main point, right? Yeah. Like, which goes into kind of our next question from LL Kane's 26. Your thoughts on Jalen Rivers being the mainstay at left tackle all year. How how much of a concern is there with that? Does it change your thoughts on the offensive line as a whole coming into this season? So basically, Gabby, do you believe Jalen Rivers can be a good enough left tackle this season? I do. And like, I don't think Jalen Rivers is like a long-term left tackle by any means. Like, I don't think he's an NFL, NFL left tackle. Right. I think he's a, I think he's probably a guard, you know, like, you know, I think he was, I think that's his organic position. I think he's probably going to be best at long-term, but if we're talking like in the ACC to get through, you know, one season, like I think Jalen Rivers is an older guy. He's a veteran guy. Um, he's a good athlete. I think he's someone that can play that left tackle spot. And I think he could play it pretty well. Like, I don't see Jalen Rivers just being like a huge kind of, you know, black eye on this offensive line, you know, like, I think he's going to, I think he's going to hold his own. I think he's going to do a good job. Uh, I feel comfortable with him there. I know, you know, look, these, I mean, I don't think these guys really play along the offensive line. Uh, You didn't see them going out searching. Like they could have searched in this spring window for some sort of tackle option if they didn't feel like Jalen Rivers was good and they could have pushed him back to right guard. They rolled through these really both transfer windows without going and getting a a, a tackle, you know, like they obviously brought in the two freshmen that they got in, but they went out and got a top tier guard. They went out and got a top tier center. They could have easily gone. They knew this Zion Nelson situation and how it was sort of lingering around. They easily could have got went into the portal and grabbed a tackle and they didn't. And I think it's telling to the confidence that they have in Jalen Rivers and I think he's a guy that they like a lot. Again, I were talking, you know, internally, I think they, there's a lot of people that like Jalen Rivers that appreciate, you know, his willingness to adapt, his versatility. Again, I think that's a trait that they, again, covet. And uh, Jalen Rivers has plenty of it. And I think, you know, he, he I think he's going to be the left tackle for Miami, uh, you know, as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I think he has at the college level. I think he has the length and athleticism to be fine. I think, you know, maybe the, the technique needs to be cleaned up at times and pass protection. Um, but I don't think he's going to be like a bad left tackle. I think he's going to be good in the run blocking phase. And I think he's going to be, you know, above average as a pass protector. Um, and look, you know, like you're kind of alluding to, if, if it was an issue, you know, they have Samson Okanlola who might not be quite ready yet in terms of like a strength perspective, uh, at to to be ready to go at the college level he has gotten stronger since the spring but uh you know you just gotta have that grown man strength to play in the line of scrimmage at this level of college football um and so that option's kind of there too but they feel better about Jalen rivers i personally don't look at it as an area that concerns me on this team uh the games where it might show up this year right it'd be those high level games 
with some decent pass rushers like Texas A&M, Florida State, Clemson, Boston College has a pretty good defensive end. I will say this in general, most of the freak defensive linemen Miami is playing this year are kind of more like interior defensive linemen. Um, you know, like Jared Verse at Florida State is a freaky twitched up defensive end. Uh, but there's really not that many type of defensive ends on uh, on Miami's schedule this year. So, yeah, I, I don't look at it as something that concerns me, but I think it's it's a fair question. Um, when you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Slim Dick Jerry asks, how do we compare size-wise to other teams in the ACC, specifically in the trenches, our offensive line versus other teams' offensive lines and also defensive lines? You want to take that one? So I think on the offensive line, I'd argue Miami is the best combination of size and athleticism in the conference, uh, which is crazy to say. You know, year over year, it just speaks to the way that they've totally flipped that position group. Because last year, you know, like Ja'Kai Clark, definitely a guy that was sawed off at center, which honestly, most college centers are a little sawed off. Um, We all know Matt Lee is the center this year. He has prototypical center size that NFL teams want, like that 6'4", 3'10"-ish type of size. and then, you know, you go up and down the line, right? Like Jalen Rivers is a massive guy at left tackle. Javian Cohen might be like the smallest guy, but he's not a small guy. He's like 6'4", 3'10", athletic looking offensive lineman. Uh, we talked about Matt Lee. You got Inez Cooper, who's a massive guy, probably 340 pound guy. And then you got the freak Francis Maui Noah, who's what, 6'6", 340. Um that's a huge offensive line. And more importantly, they're an athletic offensive line at that size defensive line. You know, I think you got to give the edge to Clemson and Florida state a little bit with their size that they bring, um, you know, Clemson in particular has kind of got some big guys Florida state too, actually. I mean, they of course have Daryl Jackson. Uh, if his waiver goes through this year, he of course has that sized factor on the interior Miami is probably in that third to fifth range in terms of size on the defensive line. They are, as we said, kind of missing a big body defensive tackle. Um, but their ends are big. They got some bigger ends like Akeem Mesador and Ruben Bain. Uh, so they will bring some power element to the edges. 
And those two guys will also kick inside at times too and get it done as undersized D tackles. Um, but yeah, I would say mine is not necessarily small on that side. I do think they got to get bigger at D tackle and that's going to be probably a point of emphasis uh, in talent acquisition this upcoming off season. But they added like Josh Horton is a big guy, big frame guy. Uh, freshman D tackle, just not quite ready yet. So that's how I would say it. Do you have anything to add there, Gabby, in terms of just size in general, where things stand with Miami in the trenches? Yeah. I mean, just, just said it's gotten bigger. You know, I think it's, I mean, I don't have a super great understanding of what everyone else across the conference looks like, but I definitely think on the offensive line, it's gotten significantly bigger. Um, you know, just with Matt Lee, Javon Cohen, Francis Malgo, even Samson Akinlola. Um, I think Inez Cooper is, is also a really, really big guy too. Um, so I, I think that first five of Miami, it's, it's just gone bigger. I mean, I, I, I would imagine it's, you know, the way it's supposed to look probably towards the top end of the conference, um, along the defensive line. Again, I think the edges, they are, they look the way it's kind of supposed to look, uh, along the interior. Again, I, I don't think they're at where they want to be. Uh, I'm sure they're not where maybe like a school, like, like Clemson is, um, especially along the interior. Uh, I think they're still a little undersized, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, again, I think they still have a ways to go, uh, you know, even again, just media day, just kind of asking around, like how I asked Jason Taylor, how many more Josh Hortons do you need like body type wise? And his response was like, Oh, I, I, we'll, we'll take a boatload, you know, like it's, right. it, it, it's, it's still far from what the way that they Which want like, it to look like. Artavius Jones would be good yeah. in that regard. Mm-hmm. And then Cam yeah. Frank, Camari and Franklin, of course, is a massive frame. So yeah. It just Both takes time. Yeah, yeah, it takes time. Uh, in terms of the other position groups, you know, look, to me, like running back is kind of small. Um, you know, I guess, I mean, of course, Mark Fletcher has the size, but like Trevante Citizen, is it ready to go? Don Chaney has the size. I think he'd be more effective if he dropped maybe 10 pounds, though. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is like the frames, like, I think you need more Mark Fletcher type frames in the room. Uh, you want to have a mix, but I think in general, you need bigger frames there. Uh, tight end looks the part. That's their size there is good. Wide receiver, you know, having Colby Young, good size there. Uh, to me, you know, the issue there last year was more so speed based. And so they've, they've worked hard to address that with like Tyler Harrell, Nathaniel Joseph. Um, Quarterback's fine. All those guys are prototypical size. Linebacker, they've upgraded significantly with the portal. Uh, Kiko, Maui Noah, and KJ Cloyd, Wesley Bassaint all looked the part. And then the freshmen still still got to fill out some, most of them, uh, but they they have the frames to get there. I think corner looks better now after the, the transfers. Um, and yeah, safety from like a body type perspective for the most part looks fine. Can those guys get it done from a talent perspective? That's, you know, still be determined. The depth guys, like we all know Cam Kitchens and James Williams have the size and talent to be good college players. Um, Jay Friedman 0281 asks, how does this team compare to the 2017 team? Is it really that far off? So that 2017 team, of course, went 10 and three, started the year 10 and 0, uh, won a lot of close games, one score games, uh, things kind of fell apart there at the end. And, um, but I think the main gist of the question is, 
is this team really far off from being a 10-win team? Um, I mean, I'm just looking at the, I mean, just look like scanning through like the 2017 roster, you know, just today. And it's just like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's, I, <laughs> I feel, oh like some, I feel like at some key positions, you know, maybe they're... I think it's quite different, but maybe really I'm being different? harsh. I mean, no. look, I I think... So running back's not yeah, even running close. Back, yeah, running back's not close. I mean, they have three running backs that played in the NFL. They have three receivers currently in the NFL, plus Amon Richards, who probably could have played in the NFL if he didn't get hurt. I mean, I think he would have played in the NFL if he didn't get hurt. Jeff Thomas, I mean, I think he's just talented. I think receiver... Running back are, you know, definitely big differences. I think the like first five on the O line. What about I mean, tight end? Like, I feel much better about Herndon than I mean, Royal could be good, but we yeah. just don't know. I just I think mean, overall like depth of the tight. I think overall depth. I think the tight end room on in this team is better. But yeah, maybe Herndon is the best of the bunch. But I think like top to bottom, like I mean, I'm looking at this roster and it's Christopher Herndon, then it was Michael Irvin too, and Malik Curry. Was and was I don't think Najoku wasn't on that team, was he? No, he was the year before. Yeah, so I mean, it's not like I, I feel like Herndon is probably the be- the better one, but I mean, going into the year where we like sold that Herndon was going to be like that dude too, like maybe. But I mean, he was I mean, productive the year before. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I I think there's a chance. I think O line's better. D line, they ran real deep on D line, like just a lot of like quality like college players. Um, yeah, I don't honestly like. I like Miami's D line this year, but if we're being if we're being real, that 2017 D line was still better. You yeah, had yeah, it was For RJ sure. McIntosh, Ken Norton are a better D tackle duo than this yeah. year. Uh, Chad Thomas, Joe Jackson, Trent Joe Harris Lewis. are all defensive ends that totaled at least 10 tackles for loss. Yeah. Um, Mike Jackson outside corners better than anything they have this year. For sure. Quarterman and Pinkney, I'd give them the edge at linebacker. Yeah. I think Jaquan Johnson and Cam Kitchens is a toss up. Yeah. And then you have Sheldrick Redwater. Yeah, Sheldrick back there too. I think Sheldrick's better than James, if we're being honest. I mean, yeah. look, I think James is a talented guy. I think they're going to utilize James the right way by, you know, beginning to move him to outside linebacker. But the fact that they're making that move tells you kind of what they think about him as a safety yeah. too, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Trajan Bandy at nickel, I think is better than Jaden Davis, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, think, are, I, think, I think defensively, I mean, this 2017 team was for sure better. I'd even argue offensively back. too. Yeah, I mean, r- running but, back receiver for sure. I think quarterback, you know, I mean, I know, yeah, I guess that's a, yeah, I think probably quarterback too, just fit-wise. Like Tyler, the 2017 team was better. Tyler's better than Malik, right? But I think, look, and I'm not like saying Malik was awesome, but like he was, he is a quarterback that threw for 3,100 yards, 26 touchdowns, and ran for 450 yards and five touchdowns. So it's that dual threat ability that made him different. Um, obviously, we know like the passing would be kind of up and down, and Tyler is a better passer. Um, but Malik, Malik won them some games that year, you know. Um, Braxton Berrios, of course, I don't know. To me, I think that 2017 team is better. Yeah. I think I would take on this year's team, 
I would take Tyler. I would take the offensive line. Um, that'd probably be it. I think D line, we can have a discussion, but I think I would go 2017. And that's probably it. Am I being too harsh? No. I mean, I just think we also have like, like we saw that 2017 team like fully play out too. So like, and again, I think there's just a lot of personnel questions. Like yeah, we, there, there's still a lot we don't know about this 2023 team. While we obviously know exactly what this 2017 is, this 2017 team is. So it's, I feel like it's hard to, I, I think at some, saying... I mean, some positions, it's a no brainer. Like, obviously there's a bunch of, there's a, a multiple no brainers, but I mean, I like, like, I mean, obviously you Jack Horman's still an NFL linebacker. I don't, I don't, I don't think so, but right. I think this, so I this think team that's got what it boils down to. Yeah. I, I know they squeaked out a few to get to 10 wins, but like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I guess that's on, I guess the bottom line, but I mean, I think this team still is, I don't know. I, I think this could be the best team that Miami's had since that 2017 team. I think potentially. I think that's fair. Sure. Well, 2020, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. see. Um, it's an interesting question and an interesting discussion. Uh, Space Kane three two one asks prediction of bigger impact: Lance Gidry or Shannon Dawson. So let's start there. Yeah, to me, I mean, I think Shannon Dawson just because of I mean, I guess they were pretty bad on both sides, but I think you kind of got. I, I just think it's we're like football's just drawn so much to like just being an offensively driven sport that I think to give yourself a chance, you need to be able to be productive on offense. And I, I, I think that Shannon Dawson and what he's going to bring and do to this offense, I think gives just a team a better, I mean, again, I, I think in order for these guys to, to do or to take those next steps, they're going to have to, you know, light some fireworks on offense. And so I think personally, Shannon Dawson uh, could potentially have the bigger impact just because of how terrible it was last year at times. Um, I guess it was, bad on defense too but i mean i would just i kind of just want to see more of like the offensive improvement and yeah. uh you know i think that'll win you more games i agree i think it's shannon i think and with where miami is at now as a program like they're a program that's trying to get to that nine or ten win range right and i think that's an area where offensive coordinators can make a big difference like i think a lot of teams out there can be nine or ten win teams if their offense is pretty good and their defense is just average to me, like those teams that win 11, 12 games a year have the elite freaks creatures on defense. Um, that just wildly separates you from everyone else from a personnel standpoint. So I guess kind of what I'm saying is like, I think offensive coordinators can manufacture things with their schematics and the way that they uh, call a game and, and there's defensive coordinators matter that way too but i do think defense is kind of like a height weight speed violence playmaking ability type thing that's more of like a top 150 recruit type of thing like a personnel thing um, and to me like the way i look at it is like defense to me is going to be a good barometer on like state of the program from a talent acquisition standpoint when miami has like grown men on defense guys that looked the part on defense, that's when you know, like, okay, maybe they have the potential to go win 10, 11, 12 games. Um, and so for this year's team, 
I do think Shannon Dawson needs to have the bigger impact. And I agree too. Like uh, everyone knows, like I hated the defense last year, what they were doing, but there's also no denying like the offense was the bigger issue. Um, that needs to be much, much, much improved, especially relative to like what they have, like their, their talent is better than having like a defense, sorry, an offense ranked in the nineties to the hundreds. Um, that just is inexcusable. Uh, he also asked space Kane three twenty one ask prediction for bigger impact Richards or Maui Noah. And I don't know which Maui Noah here, but so Jadis Richards, the corner or Maui Noah, I'll just answer it this way. Like, I think either one of the Maui Noah Maui brothers goes, yeah, is better. are going to have a bigger impact. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I think, I think both uh, Francis definitely at right tackle. Um, I mean, freak show, you know, potential freak show. Um, you know, I think he's, he's really, really big time. So I think he's going to have a huge impact. And then I think uh, Francisco Kiko, uh, I think he's going to have a huge impact at linebacker. And, you know, I, I'm really, really excited to see what he's going to do. Uh, you know, I've said it before, but I do think he's going to be Miami's best, you know, starting middle linebacker since Shaq Quarterman. So hopefully, you know, his impact is felt, you know, sort of along those lines. UM Jax asks, in another pod, you mentioned how Nathaniel Joseph is outworking his older peers. Um, in the glory days, talented freshmen didn't mind telling an upperclassman he was coming for their job. Besides Ray Ray, are there any other freshmen being bold about their play in either words and or actions and thus raising the bar for their unit? So, you know, I, well, first of all, I don't know if we've necessarily said like Joseph is outworking his older peers. I think we're just highlighting he's putting in a lot of work. Like he's putting himself in position to play right away. I think that's the bottom line there. And I think there is a lot of like-minded individuals in this freshman class with Ray Ray. And to me, those guys that I would highlight would be Mark Fletcher, the running back. I think Riley Williams, the tight end puts in a lot of work. Francis and Samson on the offensive line, put in a lot of work. Ruben Bain puts in a ton of work. And I think Damari Brown too has that approach. Like this is that pro mentality, that alpha dog mentality that Miami needs more of. Um, And that starts in recruiting bringing in those high, high level, elite level recruits. Um, and so I think the first impression so far is that the a lot of these high level recruits that they brought in also have that mentality, which is good. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add to that. You know, some of the older ga- the older guys were talking about, uh, about Malik Bryan a lot and that alpha mentality, you know, just having that willingness to kind of say something or, or speak up in meetings. Uh, you know, and I think he's just kind of naturally been wired that way for a long time. I and mean, he's always kind of been, you know, the guy, you know, kind of coming up. He was a top ranked recruit early, you know, kind of shuffled through the rankings over the course of his process. But, you know, he was evaluated more than many other people because of how uh, young he was exposed to like the national scene and things like that. But I think Malik Bryant has a total alpha mentality as well, along, along with the, all those guys that you mentioned. So, and, and again, I think there people are, are encouraged about his trajectory so far and the way that he's kind of been adjusting. So I think Malik Bryan is definitely, you know, cut from that same cloth. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later. And the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful 
as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial, and let's take pride in our finances. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at torreslionel one the number one at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. JBlack334 asks, would this offense be effective going up tempo, huddling up, or a mixture? So for me, like I just don't think Mario Cristobal is ever going to be down for like a total no huddle type yeah. of offense. So if we're talking about like a mixture of both, I'm all for that. Yeah, that's same, same here. Yeah, no, no, same. I mean, I think, and I think that's just what they're going to do, right? I think right. it's apart from just like what we think. I think that's just what we're going to see. I think we're going to, I think there's going to be times where they're going to go fast and they're going to move. And, you know, I think that, I think that's going to be a part of like what they do, but I don't think it's going to be like, you know, Ole Miss, like run, it's like gonna be a run a play every like 14 seconds or whatever. Like it's definitely not going to be that. So I think we're definitely going to see them huddle. We're going to see them go up tempo. I think it's going to be a nice little balance to keep defenses, you know, kind of on their toes. Law 5559 asks, David, I know it's a small sample size, but based on what you've seen and heard dating back from the spring till now with these two practices in the fold, on a scale of one to 10, how much of a chance do you give Emery Williams to win QB1 against Jakari Brown in 2024? Assuming, of course, Tyler Van Dyke goes pro. I'd say a three. Um, and I like Emery. Don't get me wrong. Don't like read into that. I just think the program really likes what they have in Jakari. Um, and I'll say this. I, I am hopeful that they give him some real situations this year in games uh, so that they get a true evaluation on him going into you know, the 2024 season. Uh, I don't think he's the type of quarterback that you can fully evaluate in practice because he brings elite athletic traits to the field that you don't necessarily get to see in practice. You only see those things in games uh, at the quarterback position because you cannot touch quarterbacks in practice. Um, also, too, like, look, Jakari still needs to improve as a passer. 
he has improved as a passer up to this point. Uh, if he continues on that trajectory, I will be more comfortable with that aspect of his game. Um, but I think too, to judge like what we get to watch Gabby, uh, is 20 minutes. Quarterbacks are throwing into a net. Jakari will have his ups and downs on some days with those drills, but I don't think it's fair to judge him specifically solely based off that drill. I think he impacts the game with his athleticism and his leadership. Um, and I think the only way you can really evaluate that is in game situations. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of touch on that and just kind of going back to even like the original question of like a one to 10. And I also think that if let's say if they have that quarterback quarterback competition in 2024, I also think there's going to be a third un, currently unknown name in that competition. So let's say maybe even if Jakari isn't the guy, like who's to say it's even Emery because maybe they go get a quarterback in December that they also throw into the mix here. I mean, they're going to need four scholarship quarterbacks. I think it's, I think that's a part potentially uh, likely, I guess, a part of the future plan. So, I mean, if it's even about, it's not, I don't even know if we can necessarily even call it. I guess it's easy to say right now, a Jakari or Emery type of situation in 24, because I think a lot can change, you know, after this season's wrapped up as we ha- prepare. Who for- would you pick between those two? Cause you do, you, I think you're a little higher on Emery than me. I like Emery, but. No, but I would still go Jakari. I mean, I still, okay. I, I think, I would, I, I want Jakari to be the quarterback in 2024 for all the reasons that you said. And again, I think if they, you know, structure it for him and he just continues to kind of elevate, I think that he can be just a total weapon. And, uh, you know, I think the yeah. way that they can, I mean, just again, the speed physicality combo as he just continues to get bigger, faster, stronger over the course of the fall. Also leadership. Like, yeah. Oh, he's, he's, a, and he's all, he's, he's that type of dude too. And he works. He's a, he, yeah. he's a guy that people would follow, I think in, inside the program. And I think he's someone that people even in the program are super high on. Like, I think they want it yes. to be Jakari. Like I think internally Agreed. they want Jakari to be Miami's next quarterback, but he's got to go take it too. You, they can't just, you know, it, it, you have to prepare yourself for any given situation. This program cannot take a step back. You know, I think that, I think especially, I think they're optimistic that this season will be better and it needs to just level up. So I think they're going to obviously cover their bases, but I want Jakari to be the quarterback in 2024 because of all the things that just are super exciting about him. But I also think they're going to throw another name into this mix. And I think Emery, you know, we'll see what he looks like. You know, I'm not, I'm not super expectant that Emery is going to be like definitely totally the dude in, you know, a year, you know, eight months or whatever. I think with Jakari, the fair way to put it is like, you got to hit your layup passes at an 80% clip, right? Like, you can't be hitting those layup passes. And what I mean by that is like the obvious, you know, quick slants that you just got to throw in there. Uh, you can't be hitting those at like a 50, 40 or 50% clip. Uh, to me, he's interesting because like he can, he can make all the throws and he will make some of those wow throws it's those easy passes that should be gimmies that he kind of either just aims too much or, you know, just gets away from him for some reason. So if he cleans it up, cleans that up, Miami's going to have a freak and a very good college quarterback. No idea what that means for professional type of stuff. Uh, but I think he, he can be a very, very, very good college quarterback. If you go all in on him, uh, shirtless sheriff asks, give us a dark horse candidate to make all ACC. I think Francisco Maui Goa is, is maybe like that type of guy for me. I think even 
Francis, I think Francis Matt would go. I don't again, I don't know what exactly what That's the a good one. right I think I don't know I what like the right tackle situation looks like, you know, just again conference wide. I'm not super well versed with the conference's right tackles, but like he's gonna be a starter. I think he's gonna play really, really well. And again, I, I mean I, obviously everyone around the program is extremely excited about him, but you know, I think there's even just a little bit more juice around Francis Mauagoa going into fall camp. And I do think he could be one of the conference's best right tackles. I mean, if he is who we think he is, which is a future first round NFL draft pick, I, I definitely think that we could be sitting here, you know, again, six months from now talking about how Francis Mauagoa was an all-conference tackle. And I think his brother, France, uh, Francisco, I, I think has a chance to be you know, potentially one of the conferences, you know, better linebackers. So if he maybe elevates and just really just kind of maybe overperforms to an extent, I think he could also be, uh, you know, a potential ACC linebacker. Obviously you got those Clemson guys like Jeremiah Trotter and uh, uh, what's it, Barrett Carter, who are going to be kind of tough. And I know North Carolina has that uh, Cedric Gray guy, and maybe there's a couple others in yeah. the conference that I'm missing. But I think Francis, I think Francisco can have a really good year for Miami. But Francis Mount Francis is probably is the Francis is the name that I wrote down. I'll go with the strange pick. I'll go Ruben Bain. Like Ooh. deep we'll dark freshman, horse. Bro. Deep, deep dark horse. Deep dark I mean, horse, that's though. dark horse though, right? So yeah, like yeah, of course. No, I mean that that's the point of all this. We we're uh, talking about we're talking about freshmen a lot when we're kind of going into like breakout players, impact players, like dark horse conference players. Like I think that's cool. Yeah, hopefully it works out that way. Yeah, uh, Ray Tiller three with our cornerback room. How many guys do you see playing this year if healthy? Yeah, I mean, I could see a situation where like a lot of these, I mean, I could see them running like five deep, maybe even six. Like I think for sure, Devontae Brown, Jadeus Richard, uh, Jaden Davis are going to play a lot. Um, to me, that's the line. Like you just want to see those I... three guys. Uh, I want them to be the three guys for 75% of the snaps. Does that yeah, make sense? For sure. Like, well, who I else do you think so, so for that, that 25, that 25%, like who do you kind of see? Couch, on Porter and yeah. Amari. That's what I'm saying. Six, I think, I think, you know, six, I think those are the six guys. I mean, really those are the six guys in the room. And then you have Robert Stafford and Demetrius Freeney. I think those, those are the two that I left out that, you know, probably right. I will, I don't expect to see, but I could see, you know, a situation where like, in a given game, like all six of those guys get on the field at some point. Right. But like the meaningful snaps. Yeah, no, it has to be those three guys. I want it to be Devonte Brown, Jadis, Richard, Jaden Davis. Yeah. That's just, no, I think, I think that's what it will be. I just, they're, uh, they're talking about like how many numbers are they going to roll out? J seventeen eleven. besides quarterback and safety, what position group do you think has the weakest too deep? Yeah, too deep. I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I just like depth, I guess. I, I kind of went with the interior O-line uh, just because uh, don't feel super strongly about like, you know, again, I feel good well, about the, let the, me the ask top you this. Yeah. What if Tommy Kinsler's there? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would feel a little bit better about that, but I would I don't feel super great about like Lou Cristobal potentially being the second center. And I don't feel good about like Logan Second Sagapolo. center is tough. Yeah. I don't. I personally, I know that's how they're lining up now. I personally think like, I think we would see Tommy Kinsler before it would get to Sagapolo or Lauren Seymour. I think yeah, too. I hope so. Like you could also play with the tackles and kick Francis inside if you had to do that. Yeah, You know what I maybe. mean? Like I think you could elevate Samson or maybe even Matthew McCoy, kick Francis inside. Uh, even Samson inside, maybe. I don't know. Um, 
I hope that that's the case. I hope that 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 is what they would do in a game setting. But I don't think they do it. In, I think it'd be like a Nez Cooper, right? So like when those injuries mounted, it took them like a couple weeks to get to a Nez Cooper, right? Yeah. Like they didn't just throw him in last year. Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion. I don't know. I do feel like Tommy Kinsler could be like this year's Ines Cooper. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Where he's a guy like we're talking about him like next spring as someone who's like, you know, we feel good about losing Matt Lee. Forget the drop off losing Matt Lee in general would just be disastrous. hundred um, percent. I would say the same of like losing Leonard Taylor. I don't like, you know, the drop off there. I would also say Francisco Maui Noah. I, I think yeah. the drop off there is a little steep too. Yeah. Cause then we get some more Corey flag, baby. AJ card asks any update on defensive end Cyrus Moss and his measurables. So I don't have hard numbers on Cyrus, but just like eyeballing him from, you know, seeing him out there. I, I would say the weight is maybe sticking a little bit, but I think he still has a ways to go. Um, to me, he's kind of like two years away yeah. physically. I don't know. Is that unfair? No, that's kind of like what I was saying. Like, I, I kind of want to see what Cyrus Moss just looks like, like a year from now. And I, I what, like to your point, I do think the weight's sticking on. Like, I think he's, I, I, again, I don't know like exactly what he was at before, but I do think he's cro- like crossed like the 200 pound threshold. Like, I think he's like over 200 yeah. pounds these days, um, you know, which is good. Uh, I think it's, I think he's trending, you know, the right way, but I think like, I think this next year for him is huge. Like, I don't think we're going to see anything from him or not much from him, uh, you know, this year, but I think what he looks like a year from now will be very important as yeah. just like where we go from here. Cause I think a year from now is gonna be like, where, like, where do we kind of go from this point? Because, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what it looks like any further than that. Kane Cowboy says last year. It was kind of leaked that David said there was about 20 to 25 players that aren't Miami caliber on the roster. How does that number look this year? So you, leaked, that... your, you leaked your own stuff, man. Didn't you say that like publicly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just phrasing. Uh, it's yeah, fine. No, um, I'd cut that number probably maybe to like 15 this year. So I think there is progress in that way. Uh, but to me, like the bigger thing, Gabby, if we're talking about like, cause honestly, like, I think most rosters are going to have like 15 ish players that don't belong. Um, and so to me, the more important thing is like with those 15 players, do they have the right mentality? You know, so you can't be a guy that doesn't belong on a roster and is also a cancer. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think they've done a good job eliminating those guys, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. And I, and I would agree. Like, I think that obviously you're, I, I don't think top to bottom, you're, it's, it's exactly what it wants to look like yet, but I don't think it's at 20 or 25 or anything close to that. Yeah. Like, I think, I think you've significantly reduced that number of just like, all right, we need to get these guys out of there, replace them with, you know, these types of dudes. Uh, you know, I think we're closer to, um, you know, again, not close to where, I, not really close where you want to be yet, but a lot further along than you were before. I'll say this. So like I did the top 50 ranking of, you know, players on the team going into fall camp. I probably like, I probably could have gone to 60 and been comfortable. 
Whereas last year I felt like I got to 40 and I was just like, I don't know. Like, I mean, all these guys are just kind of like whatever to me. So there was some guys that got left out of my top 50 this year that I was like, man, I could put him in. I could put him in. I could put him in. So that's an indication, I guess, that the depth has improved with the roster in general. Jay Black 334 asks, who's your favorite player on this team? Wow, favorite player on this team. I don't know. For me, it might be Francis, man. I'm really He's fun. Like, He's yeah. fun. I think Fran, I know it's like not like super like no one buys like offensive lineman jerseys or anything like that. But I'm just like fascinated. Yeah, I'm just like fascinated by him. And I don't think I've been like I, I think to this point, I had never really been exposed to like elite offensive line play, like even just over the course of the recruiting process. And uh just watching him to me is just like wow. Like it's just like it's so much yep. fun to me. And he's, again, he's such a freak. Uh, he yep. just turned 18 and, you know, just even the stories that we hear, David, you know, just like, I, I I'm just, I'm so excited about him. And uh, I think it's gonna be really cool to like track his, like, you know, freshman to sophomore to junior year to potential. Like, I'm just so excited about that process um, of just watching like that whole cycle of like high school recruitment, watched him play as a junior, what, you know, tracked him through his senior year, uh, committed all that stuff, kept, Kept, and just like, I, I'm just like, I'm really, I just want to see all of that. So um, I think it's really cool. I think he's good. I think he's a great, great player. I think he has a very long NFL career ahead of him. So uh, I, I am very fascinated by Francis Malagoa. I like Camp Kitchens and just what he's all about. So just his approach. And, yeah. He's cool. You dude. know, good guy. Um, in terms of just like, you know, everyone likes speed, right? And fast players. I'm very intrigued by Tyler Harrell. Yeah. Um, Mark Fletcher to me. Yeah, Mark Fletcher's up there for me. It was Francis time, or Mark for me. Big time personality in terms of just like total pro. Yeah. Um, also has the physical talent. And then just to build on your Francis, um, you know, nomination, I would say just the offensive line in general to me beyond just the physical difference year over year, the mentality difference to me is extremely noticeable. And of course that starts with Matt Lee, uh, but like Javian Cohen brings that Alabama edge. Um, you know, I think Jalen rivers is, uh, has the right mindset and mentality. And as Cooper, very confident guy, like he was a confident guy, you know, last year at this time when we didn't really even expect him to play. So I just think those offensive linemen are a reflection of, of Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal from a personality standpoint. And so I think that's cool that it's flipped like that already. Um, tags 305, project who gets the most yards in the running back and wide receiver rooms. I bet we have the same answers, but go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to go Mark Fletcher at running back, and I'm going to go Colby Young at receiver. Same. Who would you say number two? Number two, I'm going to go, dang, I'll probably go, I'm still, I mean, I, again, I think we've heard a lot of eight positive A.J. Allen stuff, so I'm still probably going to go A.J. Allen uh, at running back and at receiver. I don't know. I think if Tyler Harrell hits a, a, couple, a few shots, I could see Tyler Harrell being, like, number two just because of, like, the chunk plays and things like that. I think I would agree once again. Tags305 also asks, who are the leaders on the field that stand out? To me, like, make no mistake about it. Like, this is Cam Kitchen's team. 
Like, and, and that goes for both sides of the ball. Everything I hear, like when it's time for the player leaders to, to talk to the team, Cam speaks first, everybody listens, and then the rest of the leaders kind of speak after Cam Kitchens. Um, so he is the heartbeat of the defense, of course, but also he's like the, the guy that on offense, uh, you know, everyone listens to as well. And that's not to discount like Tyler's a leader too, Matt Lee's a leader too, but like if we're talking about who is the alpha of this team, it's Cam Kitchens, no question. Yeah, yeah. I think Cam Kitchens is, is the clear answer. And then you, I think, I mean, they talked about that leadership council that has 13 guys. I don't know if we know exactly who those 13 guys are, but I mean, it's obviously Camp Kitchens, Tyler Van Dyke, Matt Lee. I think that group is, um, you know, I think those guys have a lot to say. And uh, again, I think they have the respect of everyone else on the roster. So I think those are a few for sure. Hangango6 asks, uh, is there anything that can be said about practice access being limited more and more each year? Is that a trust thing or just Mario Cristobal's choice? So get in the weed here on like coverage stuff, which I don't know if that's interesting or not. But yeah, I mean, look, Practice access is typically just set by the head coach, what the head coach is comfortable with. Mario Cristobal, um, you know, learned a lot of things at Alabama. And so I think his approach with all that kind of reflects his time at Alabama. That's just the nature of things with, with covering the program. You know, it's kind of an SEC approach to, uh, you know, keeping, keeping things locked up in terms of practice access. Um, do I like it personally? No, of course not. Like I would like to see as much as I possibly can. Do I think, you know, closing off practices and fall camp impacts games? Absolutely not. But this is how it goes. And, um, you know, we're going to do our best to work within the parameters and uh, still get the information, uh, unfortunately, without seeing it with our own eyes, which is what I would prefer uh, rather than getting it secondhand. Um, and I will say this in the, you know, as well, like, in spring football, Mario invited both you and I, Gabby, to go watch an entire practice, which was very cool, yeah. you know, meant a lot. And so we appreciated that access as well. So uh, it's just the nature of, you know, football mentality. Uh, also, too, like things get tighter in the season compared to spring football in general everywhere around the country. So just the way it is. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Gabby. Yeah, I'm not really. I mean. I, it just kind of is, it is what it is and just kind of roll with it. All right. So we will end it there. Uh, appreciate everyone for listening again. 75% off. You got, I don't know, 11 hours to take advantage of that if you haven't already. Thank you to our sponsors of this show. Thank you to our listeners, as always, supporting this show with your plays. And uh, we will be back out at practice on Friday. Uh, so yeah anything big worth providing an instant reaction podcast with coming out of that we will be there for it and until next time take care hello everyone it's michael richards here you might have seen me on cbs working on their champions league coverage over the last couple of years I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. 
The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.